Chapter 16. Guess what, Bertha said when I got home. She reached into the pocket of her apron and pulled out an envelope. You got a letter from your daddy. I did? I stared at the envelope in her hand. That was Scrappy's handwriting, all right. Giant wiggly printing like a first grader wrote. I put Wishbone leash, Wishbone's leash on him and took him out front. I sat in Gus's lawn chair by the garden and stared down at the envelope. Miss Charlie Reese. If Mama had sent me a letter, which she never would, she would have written Miss Charlemagne Reese to aggravate me. Then she would probably tell me goodbye because she was starting her new life without me. I studied the envelope some more. Wake County Correctional Center was printed in the corner. Well now, that didn't sound nearly as bad as county jail. I think folks in the county jail have to stay for a long time. But if Scrappy was just getting corrected, maybe that wouldn't take too long. I sniffed the envelope to see if I could smell his aftershave, but I couldn't. I took out the folded notebook paper and smoothed it on my lap. Dear Charlie, it's your old Scrappy Pappy here saying hello and how are you? I am fine. This place is okay except for the lumpy gravy and lousy pillow. Jackie came to visit and brought me Hershey bars and toothpaste. I bet you are having fun with Gus and Bertha. Tell them I will send them some money when I can. Love, Scrappy. I turned the paper over to see if there was more on the back. Nope, that was it. I looked at the word love. I traced the letter with my finger, and then I folded the paper up and put it back in the envelope. The next day, I was bored by lunchtime. I practiced sit and stay with Wishbone. I'd help Bertha inspect the okra to find out how many jars we'd need for pickling. I looked for four-leaf clovers over by the back porch, but I didn't find one. Then I shared my peanut butter sandwich with Wishbone, and that was it. Nothing else to do. So I figured I'd ride Lenny's bike down to Howard's. I hooked Wishbone's leash on the handlebars, and off we went. When I got there, the Odom's house was buzzing like a beehive. Cotton was making something with sticks and rocks in the small square of the shade next to the porch. Burl and Lenny were over in the driveway peering out at the engine of Burl's motorcycle. Every now and then, one of them would bang on something with a wrench. Dwight was tossing a basketball onto the hoop in the streetlight pole at the edge of the yard. And Howard, I couldn't believe what he was doing. A crossword puzzle! Sitting on that ratty couch on the porch doing a crossword puzzle... What kind of kid does that on the first day of summer? Hey, he said, adjusting his glasses. Wishbone jumped up on the couch next to him and flopped over on his side, panting. Hey, I lifted the hair off the back of my neck and fanned myself. It sure is hot, I said. Want to study for Bible detective, Howard asked. Bible detective? I almost said, are you nuts? But for once, I managed to keep my thoughts to myself, and I said, no, not really. I'll give you some of my Bible books, he said. I shook my head. That's okay. Then what do you want to do? I shrugged. I got a letter from Scrappy, I said. Howard sat straight up. You did? He put the crossword puzzle on the couch beside us. From jail? It's not jail, I said. It's a correctional facility. Same thing, Howard said. It is not. I'm pretty sure it is. It is not. I said so loud, Wishbone's head shot up, and he looked at me like I was crazy. Pineapple, pineapple, pineapple. I did not want to get mad at Howard on the first day of summer. 
I must admit that even though me and Howard hadn't known each other very long, he could read me like a book. I could tell he knew I was wrestling with that temper of mine again, because he changed the subject and just said, Well, that's good that you got a letter. He scratched wishbone behind the ear. What did it say? I wanted to tell Howard that Scrappy said how much he misses me and he can't wait to come home and watch Wheel of Fortune with me again. That he was going to cook up a fancy supper for Mama with candles on the table and Willie Nelson on the radio, and maybe she'd wear that red dress he loved so much. And that when Jackie got her driver's license, he was going to let her drive all of us out to the country to buy corn and strawberries at a farm stand by the side of the road. Then we'd go home and have a barbecue out in the yard, and we might hold hands and say a blessing like Howard's family did. But I didn't tell him any of that. I told him the truth. He said they have lumpy gravy and lousy pillows, I said. That's too bad. I almost told him that Scrappy signed his letter with the word love, but then that would have probably sound dumb to a boy who gets loved so much every day of his life. Hey, maybe Mama will help us make cookies to send to him sometime. Really? Sure, Howard said. Want to go down to the creek? Okay. So me and Howard and Wishbode went behind the garage and followed the narrow trail that snaked through the cool, damp woods. I loved the earthy, mossy smell of the air and the soft tickle of the ferns that bowed down along the edges of the path. Wishbone trotted beside me, stopping every now and then to sniff at a tree or a root around a pile, or root around in a pile of rotten leaves. I wondered if he had been on this trail before. I bet he knew these woods better than anybody. Maybe he had even slept under these very trees. I wanted to take his leash off and let him run free, but I was scared to. What if he had decided he had enough of me and ran off to be a stray again? When we got to the creek, Wishbone nearly pulled me in when he jumped into the clear, gurgling water. Howard and I took off our shoes and stepped from rock to rock while Wishbone leaped and pranced, sending up splashes of cold mountain water. This feels good, I said. I know. Howard teetered on the slippery rocks, and I was sure he was going to fall in any minute, but he didn't. Wishbone let out the funniest yips and bit at the water, trying to grab the tiny minnows that darted around the rocks. Look at him! We both said at the exact same time. I jumped off the rock to the edge of the creek and I motioned for Howard. Come quick, I hollered. Hook pinkies! What? Hook pinkies, I said. We both get to wish. We do? I nodded. If two people say the same thing at the exact same time, they hook pinkies and make a wish. I said, Jackie taught me that. So Howard jumped to the edge of the creek and we hooked pinkies. I closed my eyes and made my wish. Did you make a wish, I asked? No. Why not? He stooped to swish his hand in the water, making the minnows scurry away. I don't really have to tell. I don't really have anything to wish for, he said. I shook my head. How could anybody not have something to wish for? I mean, even if you just wished you didn't have a wart on your thumb or you didn't have to eat oatmeal for breakfast. It seemed to me like you could think of something to wish for. Oh, good grief, Howard, I said. There must be something. Well, actually, there is something I could wish for, he said. So we hooked pinkies again, and Howard closed his eyes. Did you make a wish, I asked? Yep. I bet I know what it is. I can't tell you where it won't come true, remember? No, you can't tell, I said. But I can. It doesn't matter if I tell. I didn't know for sure if that was true, but I think it probably was. Just don't say whether I'm right or not, I said. Okay. You wished you didn't have that up-down walk, I said. When those words left my mouth, I could practically see them hurling through the air toward Howard, quick and sharp like razors. 
Howard's face turned pale as a ghost, and his eyes flicked at the, down at the ground. What had I done? Why had I said that? More than anything, I wanted to take those sharp words back, but I couldn't. I knew I couldn't. It suddenly felt like everything was frozen in time. Just stopped cold, dead still. Like the creek water stopped flowing and the birds stopped chirping. Like the clouds above us stopped floating over the mountaintops. Even which wishbone stood still as a statue beside me. Then Howard broke through the frozen curtain of time by grabbing his shoes and heading off up the path towards his house, leaving me standing there ashamed and heavy-hearted. I sat on the edge of the creek and held myself a pity party. That's what Jackie calls it when I feel sorry for myself. For heaven's sakes, Charlie, she says, stop having such a pity party. But I couldn't help it. Why had I gone and said something so mean to the only kid in Colby who was nice to me? The kid who wanted to give me some of his Bible books and send cookies to Scrappy. The kid who let me share my troubles with him. I pictured my clothesline full of troubles and saw myself pinning on another one. I stared there by the creek, wallowing in my pity, thinking about how this day had turned out so bad. But things suddenly went from bad to worse. A tiny striped chipmunk darted out of a rotten log beside the creek and Wishbone bolted after it, yanking the leash right out of my hand. And before I could even get myself off the ground, he had disappeared into the woods. Chapter 17 I searched those woods till almost dark. I called Wishbone's name till my throat hurt. I walked up and down the side of the road till my legs ached. Finally, I went to Howard's to get Lenny's bike that I left in the yard that afternoon. I could hear the Odoms inside eating supper, everybody laughing and saying, pass the butter and stuff. I pictured them in there crowded around the kitchen table, the boys poking each other and grabbing for the last biscuit. Mrs. Odom cooking up more fried chicken and kissing the tops of their heads. Mr. Odom's eyes twinkling as he watched his happy family. I wondered if Howard had told them what I said about his wish. And if he did, what did all those good-hearted Odoms think of me now? When I got home, I went straight back to my room and held the biggest pity party of my life. I laid on Wishbone's pillow on the floor beside the bed, breathing in his dog smell, and I cried until I found asleep. Until I fell asleep. I woke up to Bertha whispering my name. The room was dark, except for the faint glow of a lamp in the living room floating through the half-open door of my room. I closed my eyes real quick and pretended like I was still asleep. I couldn't stand the thought of telling Bertha about my day. How Wishbone didn't want to be my dog anymore and had run off. How I'd said such a mean thing to Howard. I thought maybe Bertha would leave, but she didn't. She gave me a little shake and whispered my name again. Come get some supper, she said. I'm not hungry, I mumbled into the pillow. Your favorite, she said. Grits with cheese and bacon. I shook my head. I felt like a pouty baby. I even had the urge to suck my thumb. When I act like this back in rally, Mama would say, Quit that baby whining before I jerk a knot in you. But Bertha said, You know, sometimes when you have had a bad day, eating grits makes you feel better. She poked me with an elbow. I know that from experience, she said. I sat up and hugged my knees. I leaned a little closer to Bertha until we were touching, arm to arm, knee to knee. She smelled like someone who spent her days in the kitchen, bacon and coffee and cinnamon. But she looked like someone who spent her days outdoors, arms tan and leathery, dirt under her fingernails. Wishbone is gone, I whispered. She nodded and pushed a strand of wispy hair behind her ear. Gus is out there looking for him, she said. And Gus is a man you can count on. A tiny glimmer of feel-better worked its way into my heart. I knew she was right about that. 
Gus did seem like a man you could count on. But what if Wishbone wants to be astray again, I asked. Bertha sat up and took my chin in her hand. Charlie Reese, she said. You think that dog don't know a good thing when he sees one? What good thing, I said in my pouty baby voice. She held up a finger each time she counted off. One, he eats bologna for breakfast. Two, he sleeps on a pillow. And three, he is loved by an angel. Angel? Ha! So here's where I had to go and ruin that image of me as an angel. I said something mean to Howard, I muttered. Silence. Why had I gone and told her that? I wished I could take those words back, gather them up like butterflies in a net, stay an angel in her eyes, and then I got this bad thought. What if Bertha was wrong about dogs loving you no matter what? What if Wishbone knows I'm mean and that's why he ran off? I could feel Bertha's warm skin against mine, hear her soft breathing in the stillness of that little room. Finally, she slapped a, knee on my, a hand on my knee and said, You need some grits. As soon as I woke up the next day, I looked down at the pillow on the floor, and more than anything, I wanted Wishbone to be there. He wasn't. I hurried into the kitchen. Bertha was shelling peas at the table. Where's Gus, I asked. He went back to work. I sank into the chair across from her. I guess he didn't find Wishbone, I said. She looked at me all sad-eyed and shook her head. No, he didn't. But he said to tell you we can get out there and look when he gets home. He set that trap up of yours last night, and I put some scraps in it so we can keep an eye on that. And don't forget, Wishbone has a tag on his collar. I'm sure somebody will call us when they find him. She pushed a box of cereal towards me. Eat some breakfast. But how could I eat with my stomach all balled up like it was? And then there was my other problem. Howard. What was I going to do about Howard? Guilt was gnawing at my insides as I watched Bertha shelling those peas. Every now and then she glanced up at me, and when she did, I had to look away real quick. There she was, over on the other side of the table, thinking I was an angel. And here I was on my side, feeling about as far from an angel as anybody could be. Aren't you going to ask me what mean thing I said to Howard, I asked her. She shook her head. No, I'm not. How come? She tossed me a, hand, she tossed a handful of peas into the bowl and leaned toward me. Charlie, she said, you can't judge people from the mistakes they make. You judge them for how they fix those mistakes. She reached across the table and patted my hand. Besides, do you think I haven't ever said a word or two I wanted to snatch back? She winked. Just ask Gus if you don't believe me. It was for sure. Bertha had said a lot of words in her life, seeing as how she was such a talker. But I was pretty sure none of those words were mean like mine. Mean and Bertha did not go together. Now, why don't you get dressed and we'll figure out what to do about Wishbone, she said. But before I could even think about how to start this sorry day, someone knocked on the front door and imagined my surprise when I saw who it was. Howard! I stood there barefoot in my pajamas with my hair a big rat's nest and searched for something to say. But then Bertha jumped right in and said, well, looky who's here. Showed up on our doorstep, Charlie. She held the door open. Howard Odom and needs of some cinnamon toast, I bet. Or cereal or egg or grits. You got some grits? You need some grits, Howard? He stepped inside and shook his head. No, ma'am. Then he turned to me and he said, Want to pick wild strawberries? He held up an empty milk carton with the top cut off. I know where there's tons. Um, I pushed hair out of my eyes. I, um, y'all go on and pick strawberries, Bertha said. I'll keep an eye on things here. She nodded in the direction of the trap at the edge of the yard. And then I collapsed into a puddle of sorrow on the couch and told Howard about Wishbone running off. When I finished, all I wanted to do was flop down and cry, but Howard said, Why are you sitting there for? 
Let's go find him. The next thing I knew, he was out the door and grabbing his bike, leaving me to run to my room to get dressed and scrambled, a- scramble after him. Chapter 18 Me and Howard rode our bikes up and down that mountain road all morning long. We tromped through woods, pushing our way around thick shrubs and stepping over pricker bushes. We went back to the creek behind, How- behind Howard's house three times, calling and whistling. We peered under porches and opened sheds and circled barns. By lunchtime, the blazing summer sun overhead left pockets of melted asphalt in the road and trickles of sweat down our backs. We didn't talk much, and that was fine by me. I'd gone over and over in my head how I would say I'm sorry to Howard what I said about his wish. But whenever I thought the time was right, my mouth went dry and my throat squeezed up and the words I planned to say stayed bottled up inside. We went back to Gus and Bertha's a few times to check the trap but the table scraps were still in the pie tin. We had lunch on Howard's front porch, sitting on the couch, eating Vienna sausages and cold pork and beans off the paper plates on our laps. Dwight and Cotton were out in the yard throwing rocks at the mailbox. They hit the metal with a loud thwang and left little dents on the sides. Mrs. Odom came out and told them to stop, and then she sat on the couch and told me not to worry. She was sure Wishbone would come back. You gotta think positive, she said. Yes, ma'am, I mumbled. Did she know I'd said that mean thing to Howard? If she knew, I bet she wouldn't want me on her team anymore. That afternoon, Burl drove us out into town to search parking lots and dumpsters. Dwight and Lenny made some lost dog signs, and we nailed them to telephone poles and fence posts. It was almost supper time when me and Howard rode our bikes back to Gus and Bertha's and checked the trap one more time. Then we sat in lawn chairs out by the garden and watched dragonflies flit over the top of marigolds. In my head, I said, Howard, I am sorry that I, I said that about your wish, you know, about your up-down walk. Then I'd say, shoot, nobody even cares about your up-down walk. But then he'd know that was a big fat lie, because he saw those kids leaving him out of their kickball games and cutting in front of him in line like he was invisible. So I sat there in silence with my thoughts spinning in my head. Maybe he didn't even care about what I said. I mean, he was still being nice to me. He was helping me look for wishbone. You sure do look forlorn, Howard said. I didn't know one other kid in the whole world who would use the word forlorn, but it was the perfect word to describe me. Forlorn. Just before supper, Jackie called and told me she went to see Scrappy in jail and he got a tattoo. Don't you even want to know what it is, she asked, when I didn't say anything. Um, sure. A bird, she said. A blackbird in a cage right on the back of his hand. Can you believe that? I guess. Then she rambled on about how graduating from high school wasn't all it was cracked up to be and how much she hated her job at the Waffle House. People leave the tables all nasty with syrup, she said, and they plop their crying babies in a high chair and expect me to bring their blueberry waffles in like a minute. And she told me that her boyfriend Arlo wrecked his car and turned out to be a loser. And Carol Lee saw him at the mall with Darla Jacobs, she said, so I told him adios, sucker. And then, aren't you going to ask me about Wishbone, I said? What? I'd been telling her all about Wishbone when she called. How smart he is and how he learned to sit and stay and how he slept beside my bed. Wishbone, I said. My dog. Aren't you even going to ask me about him? Oh, I'm sure, she said. How is Wishbone? Gone, I hollered. He's gone. Then I spewed out the whole story about how he'd run off and how I'd looked everywhere, but I figured he'd rather be a stray than live with me. I tried to stop, but I couldn't. I moved on to how he didn't want me the same as nobody else wanted me and how I hoped she was enjoying her perfect life while I was stuck there in Colby with a bunch of squirrel-eating hillbillies. And then I hung up and sat on the floor with my back against the wall. 
I could see Bertha in the kitchen stirring something on the stove and pretending like she hadn't heard me. When the phone rang again, I just looked at it there in my hand. Bertha stopped stirring. Ring. 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 Hello, I said in a trembly voice. Charlie? Jackie's voice floated through the telephone line, soft and sure, from Raleigh to Colby. I pictured that voice traveling from Carol Lee's fancy brick house along highways and over treetops and then up the winding roads and down the gravel, dri gravel driveway into this little house perched on the side of the mountain and finally getting to me, sitting on the floor and needing to hear it. Sorry about Wishbone, Jackie said. I really am. I hope he comes back. I watched a fly dart from the window screen to the lamp to the ceiling. Charlie, Jackie said. What? I know this whole situation has been hard on you. Situation? Is that what this was? A situation? I think Mama's getting better, Jackie said. I talked to her yesterday and she sounded better. What did that mean? That she got out of bed? That she got her feet on the ground? That she cared one little bit about me? That I'd go back to rally and our broken family would suddenly disappear and in its place would be a real family holding hands and saying a blessing? Maybe I can come visit you soon, Jackie went on. I'm going to try to get my driver's license in a couple weeks. Did I tell you that? And Carol Lee got a car for graduation. Can you believe that? If I get some time off from my godforsaken job, I could come to Colby. We could go to Asheville and hang out. They have vegan restaurants there. Did you know that? I'm thinking about becoming vegan. And I bet if I... She jabbered on about all the things we could do. But she left out the part about how she would go back to her perfect life. And I would still be here without my dog and wishing I hadn't been mean to Howard. That night when Gus got home, the three of us drove around looking for Wishbone. We went down to the school and over to the diner. We drove through the trailer parks and alley. alleys. We drove Berth While we drove, Bertha told us a story she read in the newspaper about a dog that fell out of the back of a van in North Carolina and managed to find his way back home to Indiana. Almost 400 miles, she said. The family had been on vacation over in Maggie Valley. I can't hardly believe that. Gus was quiet, shifting a toothpick from one side of his mouth to the other while he scanned the roadside and the parking lots and the woods as he drove. Every now and then he said, Don't worry, Butterbean. We'll find him. But I was thinking that maybe now was the time to change my wish. Maybe next time I got a chance, I should wish my dog would come back. Finally, it got too dark to see much anymore, so we headed home. We turned into the driveway and the old car bounced and squeaked over the holes, the crunch of tires on gravel echoing in the still evening air. The headlights and beams of light dancing through the mountain laurel and the chokeberries beside the driveway. Finally, the house came into view and I thought my heart was going to leap right out of me at what I saw. There was Wishbone, wagging his tail as he trotted towards us, dragging his leash on the ground behind him. Chapter 19. Wishbone had liverwurst and scrambled eggs for dinner every night for a week. He learned to roll over and turn in circles and flip a dog biscuit off his nose and catch it. And he didn't sleep on the floor beside my bed anymore. He slept right in the bed with me. I didn't mind his liver liverwurst breath one bit. I loved his soft warm fur and the feel of his heartbeat against my cheek when I hugged him. Every night after supper when me and Gus and Bertha sat on the porch, Wishbone snored contentedly while I rubbed my bare feet over his warm back. Sometimes he'd jump up and let out a bark at a noise down in the woods, a raccoon or a possum or maybe even just the rustle of leaves in the wind. 
That is one happy dog, Butterbean, Gus would say. Then Bertha would urge Gus to tell us another story about his dog, Skeeter. How about that time he fell in the river when y'all were fishing with, and your brother jumped in after him to save him and flipped the boat over? Gus chuckled, but before he could say a word, Bertha said, Oh, I know. Tell Charlie how your sister used to dress Skeeter up in her Girl Scout uniform. I took Wishbone to the Odoms almost every day. I still hadn't told Howard I was sorry for what I said about his up-down walk, so there was always one big old elephant in the room for me. But Howard, he never let on that anything had happened between us. Still, I felt mad at myself for not speaking up. I kept thinking about what Bertha had said about not judging folks for how they fit about what Bertha had said about judging folks for how they fix their mistakes, and I knew I wasn't doing a very good job of fixing mine. Every time me and Wishbone showed up at the Odom's front door, one of them would say hey and wave us in, and I'd get caught up in the flurry of that family like a tornado spinning me off my feet. Me and Howard played Parcheesi at the kitchen table with a fan whirring in the doorway while Wishbone scurried around searching for dropped crackers or spilled juice. Cotton would stick his face right up against the fan and let out a Tarzan yell, his voice coming out all quivery and making us laugh. Burl and Lenny would come in and make tomato sandwiches, leaving greasy black fingerprints on everything they touched. It seemed like they were always working on some kind of engine, car, motorcycle, lawnmower. Every once in a while, a swear word would drift through the screen door from out in the yard, and Mrs. Odom would march out there and tell them to hush up talking like that. Dwight went to baseball camp at the YMCA and came home covered in red dirt and sweat. Most days, he and Cotton ended up in some kind of wrestling match, throwing sofa cushions at each other until Cotton ended up whining to Mrs. Odom. Some days it was so hot, me and Howard would lay on the porch with ice cubes on our foreheads and tell knock-knock jokes. One day, Mrs. Odom put a tarp in the bed of his truck and filled it with water. Mr. Odom put a, bed in, put a tarp in the bed of his truck and filled it with water. We sat there in our shorts and t-shirts, and ate frozen Kool-Aid in paper cups. I wish we could go in a real swimming pool, Howard said. When I go back to Raleigh, he said, I said, I'm going to take swimming lessons like I did last summer. When are you going back to Raleigh? I shrugged. I don't know for sure. I'm just saying when I do. Maybe if you stay in Colby, Daddy will drive us over to the lake one day, Howard said. We can take back Wishbone. I bet he'd like to swim. Maybe. Let's go down to the creek, Howard said. I sighed. He'd been trying to get me to go back down to the creek behind his house for days, but I was nervous. What if Wishbone runs off again, I said. Hold on to the leash real good, Howard said. But really, Charlie, he don't want to run off. He just made a mistake last time. He tossed a saltine cracker on the floor for Wishbone. He came back, didn't he? So I finally said yes, and the three of us trudged down the path to the creek with ferns tickling our legs and Wishbone sniffing at every little thing along the way. But when we got there, a bad, heavy feeling settled over me. Instead of seeing tiny silver minnows darting around the mossy rocks, I saw the look on Howard's face I had, when I had said, you wish you didn't have that up, Don Walk. And even though he acted like he didn't care anymore, for me, those words still hovered in the air between us like a storm cloud. I tossed a pebble into the creek and watched the water ripple and the minnows scattered. I'm sorry for what I said, Howard. When he looked a little puzzled, I added, about wishing that you didn't have the, that up-down walk. Oh, he tossed a pebble into the creek, too, and Wishbone leaped in after it, sending up a spray of cold water. I know it was a mean thing to say, and I'm sorry. I waited for Howard to say that's okay, but he didn't. I waited for him to say, don't worry about it, but he didn't. I waited for him to say, ah, heck, Charlie, I forgot all about that, 
but he didn't. In fact, he didn't say anything for the longest time, and then he shrugged and said, I'm used to kids saying mean, mean things about the way I walk. Ouch. Stab me in the heart, Howard. Toss me into the mean pile with all the other hateful kids in Colby. Squish me into the mud like the worm that I am. My eyes darted from tree to rock to creek to fern while I scrambled to figure out what to say next, and then I spied it. A blackbird feather nestled in the leaves and pine needles beside the creek. Look, I said, grabbing the feather and holding it up for Howard to see. He squinted at it, putting his, pushing his glasses further up on his freckled nose. Something to wish on, I said. You stick it in the ground and make a wish. I held it out to him. Here, you take it. Make a wish. He shook his head. Nah, why not? He took off his glasses and wiped drops of creek water off them with the edge of his shirt. Then he put them back on and said, Because I know my wish ain't never coming true. Well, now that surprised me coming from Howard, who was always Mr. Positive. How do you know that, I asked. I just do. But look at me, I said. I've made the same wish every day since fourth grade, and it hasn't come true. I stroked the top of Wishbone's wet head. But if I make the wish that wish enough times, I know it will someday. Then I hope it does, Howard said. I had held the feather out to him again. You sure? He nodded. So I stuck the feather into the soft dirt beside the creek, closed my eyes, and made my wish. On the way home that day, the feeling that had been weighing me down so much since I said the mean thing to Howard felt a little bit lighter. I wasn't sure if I had fixed my mistake, but at least I had tried.